0: people were very focused on iq and then eq came around and so a lot of businesses are gathering around the idea of developing your eq i think the next thing for the world to consider is hq which is your health quotient so i think that the next books and the next conversations we're going to have and i hope to be leading some of them is is hq
1: this is the safari Safari is a tour around the consumer brand and retailing industry and we have the great privilege here at my company Traub to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer brand and retail world and I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast, which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and and you, obviously, the listener. Welcome back to The Safari. This is Morty Singer speaking. And as everyone is in dry January still and focusing on their health, uh, we wanted to bring someone to you who is the founder and CEO of Physique 57, Jennifer Vaughan Manavi. And Jennifer is quite a wonderful entrepreneur who has a finance background uh, and then became an entrepreneur. Uh, And Physique 57 is now a global business. It started in New York City and they have studios all over the world and have really built a great brand uh, focusing on people's health and wellness And um, it's something that uh, is on top of everybody's mind these days. So let's get started. Jennifer, thank you so much for doing the safari with me.
0: Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So I, I think it's quite wonderful to start with your quite unique background. Well, you have this incredible company, Physique 57, and it's become a global uh, company that has studios all over the place and started here on 57th Street in Manhattan. Um, but you started out in finance, and this is sort of a theme on this podcast, which is that you know the people have a, a lot of left and right brain that we seem to find ourselves speaking to. So speak a little bit about your kind of, Rather interesting, maybe secured his path to owning um, a, a health and wellness fitness studio company, um, and then talk a little bit about, of course, uh, Studio Fifty Seven itself and and what it is.
0: Sure. So I, growing up at around the age of two, I started dancing. So all through my my younger years and even through college, I danced quite a bit, and as a result, I was physically fit and always interested in movement and not so much fitness though because that really wasn't a big a big thing back then but i was always interested in, in dance and then i i always knew i wanted to work on wall street so even when i was like in high school i thought oh i want to be an investment banker so i always had my eye on a more uh, finance based career so i did i did that i worked for 10 years on wall street i worked at morgan stanley deutsche bank lots of big financial firms and i always had a client facing role though so one thing that i realized early on and I think it's a great question for people to ask each other: Do you want to be front of house or back of house? So I've always been a front of house person, and I always liked client contact. And uh, but and I really thought I would work on Wall Street for a very long time. In the meantime, though, I transitioned from more of a dance hobby to a fitness hobby. But one thing that I was finding in New York City, and was probably all over the country, was that there was only two options. There was very big somewhat impersonal gyms, and then very, very small, t- tiny, you know, kind of mom and pop yoga or Pilates studios, and not much in between. And while I was working on Wall Street, and while I was exercising, I just kept thinking, there's got to be a better way. And I stumbled upon this amazing exercise method, which is called a bar method, which the only aspect of the bar is that's your main piece of equipment. It's not ballet exercises. It's, it's not ballet but you are doing dance type of exercises using a bar and that's where what's now very popular is this bar technique that is actually like a global phenomenon. And so I was taking bar exercise and working on Wall Street and I just felt like there was a better way to deliver this type of exercise method and I felt like the gyms and the small yoga studios weren't really the right place to do it. So Lucky for me, I'm um, unlucky maybe for that business, but the business that I was that I frequented went out of business. And Morty, it took like 48 hours for me to think that I should probably leave Wall Street and go recreate that type of exercise method, but in a much better environment, in a more intimate and engaging environment. And this is before boutique fitness was even a word. This is before wellness was a term. We were the first people to sell Lululemon in New York City. I mean, this is really early days. This is 2005. And I partnered with the top instructor at that bar studio. And we t- it took us really only like two months to start this business. And so we really thought about the customer experience And what we were delivering was this exercise method, but the business wasn't really about that exercise method. It was about delivering strength and confidence to women in an intimate and engaging environment. And that's that's how I got there. And, And so Physique 57 started on 57th Street. And my idea was to bring this form of exercise to the focal point of New York City at the time. And there were very few, I still think there's very few exercise studios in Midtown Manhattan. But the idea was that i wanted to be in a location that you could get to by subway by bus walk from your office my target market was a 28 year old banker and like where where can i get the most of those people and we opened on the eighth floor of an art gallery building so it was almost like visiting a friend's apartment or something and i just said i want to go to the center of new york i want a really intimate nice high-end experience and I want 28-year-olds to come. And that's Physique 57. <laughs> <laughs> and Oof. since then, we have you know, um, upwards of 10 studios in four different countries. And it's, we have a very strong online business. That was kind of the front door that I wanted to the studio to be there.
1: So you know, it's interesting hearing you talk about the fact that you're not really in in the in the bar method or technique business. You're in the strength and confidence business. So uh, unpack that a little bit, and it's interesting to hear an entrepreneur speak that way because oftentimes we we companies always think they're in a line of work when they're actually delivering a feeling or an idea. Um, to expand on the role of of wellness, but also the role of what you bring your customers to their life and how you think it delivers. Uh, that branding, which is incredibly important.
0: So when I was when I became a fitness addict again in my late twenties, what I was realizing was yes, I had lost some dress sizes, and yes, I felt physically fit, which was nice. But the real byproduct that I found, and this is when I was an associate at Morgan Stanley, was that I just felt more confident, and I felt stronger. I was sitting up straighter. I was actually talking more in meetings. And and keep in mind at the time. My department had 70 people and only 10 were women. And I was also one of the younger women. So it, was, it wasn't was natural for, for someone like me to be that vocal or active. And I just, like, this is really interesting because not only do my muscles feel stronger, but my mind feels stronger. And I just feel better. I'm like Jennifer like times 10 in in so many different ways. And that's what I was trying to capture when we started our, our, our new business. Wasn't, yes, I mean, there's a bicep and tricep aspect to it for sure, but this is more about strength and confidence. And one thing that I did, which was a big move and risky, two things. One is when I was creating the website, I didn't want pictures of girls in bikinis. I didn't want biceps and triceps. And what I did was I purchased an image used at a John Galliano fashion, uh, a fashion shoot that he had in Paris. And I purchased that and we changed it up a little bit. But in 2006, my website page was a, an animated picture of a woman in a black dress. And that's what I was selling. I was selling this beautiful woman in a black dress with sunglasses on and she looked like she had just been to a party. She actually looked a little bit too much like she had just been to a party so we had to make her hair look a little bit neater. <laughs> she looked a little bit like a hungover person, but we we just <laughs> refined her a little That's bit. For and, you. yeah, exactly, exactly. And so we made her a little bit more professional and that for years was our homepage. And then number 2 is looking at PR firms. I went to the usual suspects and they were also pushing this bikini lifestyle and California and all this you know, beautiful bodies. And I thought, this is just not working for me. So instead I went to fashion PR firms and I said, you know, and I was thinking that in fashion, and I didn't have any experience in fashion, but my my guess was that those designers are also selling confidence and you're going to look good in this outfit and you're going to feel better in this outfit. And so I went to PR firms in the fashion industry and I said, I want you to do for me what you do for top designers. And so Physique 57 really came out as like a fashion brand. And lo and behold, one of our first celebrity clients, and this is during the Sex in the City days, was Sarah Jessica Parker. So it it just, it worked. So I thought of fitness as a lifestyle enhancing vehicle not as a way to be, and I still don't look at it as a way to be skinny. I mean, of course it's nice if you fit into your clothes, but that's not really what this is all about. Mm. And I really think that's where the wellness industry is going. And that's very, very exciting to me. And I think that's actually accelerated during the pandemic. So we, and I, I actually do not teach exercise. I still don't know much about exercise. I, I have my, my, my co-founder is the exercise expert and she is responsible for the, all of the content, and she does an amazing job. And, and my job, from um, the CEO, and a, take a big part in the marketing and the branding, has always been about making women feel stronger, making women feel better, and being in love, not just loving our clients, but really being in love with our clients and helping them just to feel better about themselves every day. And it, it just happens to be that right now we do that through physical
1: fitness. So listening to you, it doesn't really sound like I'm speaking to a former Morgan Stanley associate uh, or VP. Um, do you have a natural um, marketing instinct, do you think? Or did you go to school somewhere to get that? Or h- how did that come about? Because you you don't sound like someone who's a sort of wildly left brain person only. It sounds like you've knitted both of those sides together, which again is a theme around here. Um, tell me about that. How did you sort of follow your instincts as an entrepreneur in marketing when you, it sounds like, didn't have any training in it?
0: Well, thank you. Um, well, I went to Columbia Business School, and back then, it was still very much a, a traditional business school. It, it evolved in in many ways. And at the time, it was mostly finance-based, which was fine. And then you had these, what we would call like fun and soft electives, which were entrepreneurship and marketing, global communications. And I just loved those classes. And I think I was like the only one <laughs> at the time who liked all those classes, but I loved entrepreneurship. And it was really, I, it was an elective and I almost didn't even know what it was. And I just loved entrepreneurship. And I've gone back and spoken many times to the entrepreneurship classes. And I also loved marketing and I love global communications. And I, I, but I, when I left, I, is when I went to Morgan Stanley. So I, I still didn't use any of those tools but I always had them in the back of my mind. And I and I really just came alive when I started on this fitness journey and thinking about all of the ways that it could be marketed better and branded better and we could communicate with women better. And I just like couldn't help it. And I would walk down the street and just think like this fitness industry is not right. It's just not doing its job. And it just became this like, I just became this... Uh, ambassador of women's fitness and I just think sometimes you don't know what your skill sets are until you're, you're put in that place and whatever you kind of think about before work and after work and become sort of semi-obsessed with might actually be the direction you should go in professionally.
1: Yeah and so the, your success therefore presumably might be attributed to by yourself to that linking of the, your sort of different parts of your ability maybe. And, and so speak a little bit about, you know, some of the key factors um, that sort of contributed to the success. And obviously, um, you know, everyone likes to think that success happened overnight uh, or 10 years overnight, maybe. Um, so talk about some of the things that, um, that, that, that got the expansion from, you know, 57th Street to having studios all over the world.
0: Uh, one thing. So this is uh, 2006 when we when we opened. So one thing that was different than now is it was before Facebook. It was flip phones. It was you know mostly email marketing that people did and press. So to be in a magazine was a big a big deal. And we were lucky to have landed Vogue magazine after only being open for two months. So that was big. So there's there's a couple things. One was the press that I had mentioned, and because we followed that fashion path, we were in magazines like W magazine and Vogue, which was better from a demographic standpoint than being in Shape magazine and some of those other magazines, like self-those, those were those were great, but those weren't exactly my client, my client um, focus. So being in Vogue and W and, and fashion magazines was a huge hit for us. And that also attracted celebrities, which was fantastic. So that was a big part. But the other part was knowing that at the time there weren't that many vehicles for marketing like there are now with social media. So word of mouth was a big deal. And what I did, and we were also just, we started off, we were self-funded and we didn't have that much money to even spend on marketing. But what I wanted to do instead was spend money on training and the product. So what what I didn't spend on marketing, I spent on the product knowing that the better product we had, the more likely we would have word of mouth. And that was really, really important. And I, and 80% of our clients were coming in through word of mouth.
1: You know, that's called there's another word for that, which is a, the technical term for word of mouth is quality hyper efficiency. Have you ever heard that?
0: And I love that. <laughs> I love that. You know, yeah. that is that is great. And that's a is stupid really... term,
1: if you ask me, but there we go. <laughs> word of mouth.
0: Yes, word of mouth. And what I wanted people to do, and this is again going back to when people were going to offices, like my. My goal was to have a woman go back to the office and talk about physique 57 and have her friend sign up. And, and one thing I had researched at the time is that you are six times more likely to follow the advice of a colleague than a friend. Now why that is, we could talk about that on a whole other podcast, but people find more commonality in the activities and the recommendations of a colleague. And I really just, Double down on that. And we started with corporate partnerships, Bank of America was across the street, Goldman Sachs, Citibank, and, and just really grew the business from word of mouth to people you work with. And again, that 28-year-old, which is still like my favorite age to market to for so many reasons. And the average age ended up being 33, but you had to really attract a 28-year-old for them. To, to, at the end of the day, it was a 33-year-old who's our average client age. But it. Uh, I was just obsessed with that, with that age group. I wasn't twenty eight at the time, but I was really, really, really focused. For, forever twenty. We're,
1: we're always. 28.
0: I know. I feel like I'm twenty eight. <laughs> there we go. So do I. The, so the.
1: Um, so the interesting thing, and, I, and I, at this recording, um, it is January twenty twenty one, and of course we are sort of hopefully coming out of this uh, strange time uh, of the of the global pandemic, um, and there's always going to be uh, a pre pandemic and a post pandemic. Uh, discussion. Uh, how do you feel, and I don't want to dwell too much on it because people have had enough of, of talking about this, but it's, it's obviously vital for your business and pretty much every business as to how one conducts oneself I know you've pivoted into many different areas I think we've all pivoted pivoted pivot <laughs> other than you're on mute is the most used word uh, of of the last uh, year and so um, what do you what do you attribute to your ability to change to adapt uh, and what do you think is going to stick around and and what what are you looking? What, what you're staring down the barrel of the next few years. What do you, what do you think is going to be the norm as we come out?
0: Yeah, I think that, and 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 I, I, at this point, I think many people agree with me. Uh, there, there's one thing I think that I I don't know has been talked about that much, but the first thing I'll talk about is what has been talked about a lot, which is this hybrid idea of fitness. So I I do believe for as as long as the the eye can see individuals will now do in-person fitness as well as virtual. So we, and and we actually started our on-demand business. Multi-channel fitness. Yes, multiple, but I think there's even more than multiple channels. I think there's more channels than people even think there could be. So we started doing on-demand back in 2012. So we actually started building up our, our fitness library, fitness content library in 2012. So we have had a growing subscriber base for, going into nine years at this point. So we have a pre-recorded library of 350 videos, I think at this point. So we, we already knew that there was a big uh, demand for that. And that continues to grow. And that's actually in very different parts of the country that grows. So that's one client base. And then what we saw from our studio client base is that they like the live classes that are similar to what they experienced in the studio. And then we have another group of clients, which are the very advanced, my most, I wouldn't even say the most loyal clients, but the most advanced clients like to do this Instagram product that we have, which is our hardest classes. So we actually now have three digital products and that is controversial. And I'll explain why we do that, but we have three digital products. We don't just have
1: one. Controversial because the clients are frustrated by the different venues.
0: Actually, the clients are not frustrated but anyone who looks at our business says, why do you have three products? Wouldn't it just be easier for you, Jennifer Manavy, the CEO, and wouldn't it just be easier for your management team to have one product? And what I say to them is, yes, it would, but it would not be easier for our client. And the people that we have to think about all day is our client. And the, and the way that we've, we've been thinking about Find this them what, where they are, yeah. Find them where they are. And that I think investors and boardrooms would say like, but there's so much back office and there's so much this and there's so much that. I'm like, that's that's not their problem. The Clients have their own problems. A business has their own problems. I'm not, I can't ask a client to solve my problem. I'm here to solve their problem. And what we found, which was, it was actually, I have to admit, frustrating, but we had to just give into it, was that we tried, and this is say April or May, we tried to direct our studio clients to the on-demand platform that was already running and simple and and turnkey. And they just weren't having it, (laughs) they weren't going. And they just wanted what they wanted. And, And what I started to think about is that we've had studios around the world and clients have walked into so many front doors, if you want to put it that way, of the Z57. Some people only know us through the digital platforms, some of know us as a Thai business. Some of us know us as an LA business. Some of us know us as the Soho business. And how they got to know us and really how, what I say, what door they walked into was the, was the room they wanted to stay in. So our most advanced clients who were taking our top instructors and doing really, really hard workouts wanted those instructors and those workouts. And they found us on an Instagram channel that we have kept all this time and they, uh, they only do this Instagram paid platform. Then other clients wanted the live classes with their favorite teachers. Yeah. So we created with our, with our POS system, we, d- we didn't do Zoom, we never went to Zoom, but we used our own POS system to create this live class experience that was exactly like their experience that they had coming into a studio with the teachers that they knew. And then we grew the on we grew the on demand business, but those people didn't want live classes and they didn't they didn't want anything else. So,
1: so is is the split sort of even those who like live versus on demand?
0: It's almost even. I think. Well, I think the only reason it's, it's more skewed towards the pre recorded is that that pre recorded product has been around for so long. Yeah. So there's people from all over. Actually, we're in 122 countries. So those people have just stayed with pre recorded videos, and that's its own mailing list. It has its own um, email blast, it has its own content, and they're very happy over there. And then we have a different mailing list and a different way that we talk to our virtual studio clients. And then we have it's it's a small, a small but dedicated group that does a paid Instagram and a product. So we have and we have different sets of teachers that are on different platforms uh, pretty much. And so it, it would almost look as if sometimes we're three. Yep. So it's three different products, all within one brand, but but they all have their own nuances to them, and still, like we we have, uh, up until a couple of months ago, we would really try to offer the different products to different people, and they're all just like we're happy where we are. We
1: oh, have to it, 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 there's horses, there's horses for courses, right? So I think what's really interesting listening to you is it reminds me of the famous expression of when the. Uh, the railroad uh, guys were, you know, still laying track around the country, and they saw these things flying above their heads called airplanes, commercial airplanes, and um, they sort of dubbed themselves as being in the railroad railroad industry versus in the transportation industry, and, um, and lo and behold, you know, the airplanes slowly took over. You made a comment uh, quite interestingly in a, in an interview that said, you know, that Netflix is your biggest um, competitor. I think that's got to do with obviously airtime, uh, you know, pulling people's attention away. But presumably on Netflix and other streaming services, there are recorded um, fitness routines. Even YouTube, I'm I'm assuming, is a competitor, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think is a refreshingly progressive way of looking at the world, quite honestly, I think, as opposed to, you know, once again, you you, you describe yourself as being in the strength and confidence business, but you're also in the media business as much as being in the wellness business. So um, talk about how you came to these realizations and, and other sort of other, other things that are maybe tickling you to say, Hmm, am I now in X, Y, or Z business? And who are the, these other avenues that are now my competitors?
0: Yeah. So it's a it's a great question. So when I said that Netflix was my biggest competitor at the time, they were not involved with fitness. And what I was finding so interesting was people were, you know, coming to the office, you know, quote unquote, and talking about binge watching and all these TV shows. And it used to be that people would I felt like we're talking about their new workouts. I'm like people aren't talking about their workouts anymore. They're talking about binge watching. And so as far as how many hours there are in the day, I felt like Netflix was becoming a way that people were bonding on these different shows that they were watching. And that was, I mean, it wasn't disappointing. I mean, that's the way the world works, but I was like, "Hmm, people aren't really talking about boutique fitness anymore. They're talking about these TV shows and they were spending like five hours on a weekend watching one show. And I wish people were talking about exercise now, fast forward to now, and there's a whole different universe and you can call it wellness TV. And the brands are you know, big media and big data are are getting involved with fitness so like samsung has if you buy a samsung tv there's fitness already plugged into it um there's even i think headspace now has a tv show on netflix and uh there's there's really this convergence mm. of the great convergence and wellness yes and i uh, um, and, and this is beyond just fitness this is um people are talking about music and like now you have rock, hip hop, and then calm. Like if you go to Spotify, there's wellness music, there's calm, there's all sorts of music. Now there's something called adult lullabies. I don't know if you've heard that where it helps you music that's helping you go to sleep. Headspace now has a chief music officer and John Legend is creating the music for Headspace. So it's very, very interesting to watch the wellness industry just go beyond exercise and now we're talking about sound we're talking about light we're talking about uh, so many different aspects of wellness for individuals and big companies or hollywood if you want to call it is getting involved so i think over time you're going to see a big convergence of fitness and wellness with with these larger companies and yes then that does become a competitor but in some ways, it just actually makes wellness a bigger, I think in many ways, it makes wellness a much bigger discussion. So I don't think it takes really from my pie. I just think it makes the pie much bigger. And I heard something the other day. I was talking to somebody who was developing a leadership program for NASA. And that leadership program, a big piece of it is well being. And a big part of the well being is fitness. So if we can start to, if fitness can start to plug itself into well-being and leadership and corporate America too, I think it would be amazing if leadership programs in all of the Fortune 100 companies and beyond start having this well-being and fitness component. Like how healthy is your company or how healthy is your your management team. So I think it's going to be explosive.
1: In many of the the pyramids one sees about health and wellness, and there's there's obviously nutrition and there's sleep, um, mental health is always the 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 foundation of the pyramid. Um, and trying to get people to be more mindful about their time and more mindful about about their bodies and and experiences, I think is, is incredibly important. Um, just one quick sort of technical question just comes back to the business of the business i 'm um, always incredible having having worked all over the world i I've probably worked in fifty countries um, in my career and i um i 'm always so impressed with an entrepreneur who 's managed to take their business global uh, themselves versus the next owner or what have you uh, because it's it 's just really hard and, and it 's hard to run a business one'self in one 's own country in one 's own city let alone um, in the Middle East and in Southeast Asia. Speak a little bit about your expansion there, how you did it, how you selected your partners, uh, whether you selected partners, uh, because it's really interesting to me. And I think uh, people can learn a lot from it.
0: Thank you. And that has been one of the most rewarding parts of my business and certainly challenging. And uh, uh, so for, for one, yes, we did do it through partnerships. And the most important aspect of picking a partner was their local knowledge not necessarily even their their business background or their financial acumen this was more about do you understand women in your culture in your city and what and, and more about their affiliation with the city and uh, friendships networks of women in their very very specific location not and again not the region i mean like their very specific city and that I think was the number one factor of success was picking partners that really understood their city. How much people are willing to pay? What's their interest in fitness? Are they looking at fitness as fun or to lose weight or just to be healthy? So, like two two different examples are when we launched in Thailand. They are very tiny in Thailand. Well, these women mm. were size zeros and size fours, you know, or size you know. Z- these women were size zero to four when we went to do our first masterclass there to introduce the method. And it was a very funny experience for Tanya, our co founder, to teach there because using the typical words that you were using in, in New York City at the time did not work in Bangkok. Things like, uh, you know, losing inches, losing weight. I mean, they, they were as tiny as you could possibly be. So we had to change all of our messaging to be healthy. Feel better, so you really need to be there it's and a partner to know that they don't like sculpt. We do not use the word sculpt in Thailand because they don't want to be sculpted. They don't really want muscles; they just want to be healthy. So you have to learn these these really nuances about don't use this word; use this instead. And I say like fifty percent of the success is just by understanding from the local partner how to message.
1: So how does that work with streaming? So if you're if you're streaming from New York to a global audience, how do you, do you have to sort of neutralize language?
0: Yes, so that is correct. And actually, I would say Thailand has not had much of an interest in our US video uh, business because it's just so different for them. Yeah. They really like their local instructors. Yeah, yeah. And however, Dubai has had an interest, and there's there's more of a similarity. And then what we're doing in India, is we're launching, we're taking a hybrid. We're taking half. You're that in we're Mumbai, launching correct? In Mumbai, yep. We are launching our video on demand business in India, and it's half of our US-based fitness content and half produced in India. Amazing. So that she has enough content to go. So they'll have both. So if you are in India and you go onto the platform, you can look at the the Indian teachers or American teachers, and, and we'll sort of see which one they like better, but we're seeding it with our American content. It's probably about 50% American content and 50% Indian content. So we're, we're doing both. So the other parts of doing business internationally is, you know, understand that you know nothing about that clientele and just be a good listener. You, you know, what we do bring to the table is the operational expertise and say the POS system or the payment system, uh, marketing assets, but we always ask them to adapt our messaging to their local um, clientele or our pictures, use what you want. We take a lot of different types of photography and use what you want. And if you want your own photography, that's fine as long as we can improve it. And so we just have to be so sensitive to different management styles, to ways of thinking. Um, Like I'll, I'll literally know that you could have the same agenda for a phone call in one city versus another and in one city it's going to be like five times longer than the other city just because of you know how how the meetings start and end and it there's so much cultural difference and you just have to be really open-minded to it and you have to make sure your team is incredibly open-minded and and listening skills win the day because you have to really understand what they're trying to say.
1: Well, there we go. Listening, listening is so key. It's interesting. Many, many of the problems that I've encountered on my many business trips around the world, or the problems we had to untangle, were to do oftentimes with what I'd call cultural imperialism, right? Whereby a Western country would, with their brand, would show up and tell someone in pick a country how to run their business because it was sort of like a copy-paste. Like, this is how we do it in Paris. This is how we do it in New York. And, you know, aren't we wonderful? And then they would show up in Mumbai or in, in, in Abu Dhabi or in, in Tokyo and people would think they're nuts, you know. And it's having the ability to – um to be sensitive, to, to listen, as you said, uh, and to adapt. Uh, and if, if you, you know, there's an 80, 20 rule in everything, and you, you can't be right a hundred percent of the time, you just cannot. So that's really interesting. And so look, as we, as we, um, sort of wrap up here, uh, what's next for, for, for you guys, uh, for physique 57, what are you excited about? G- give us some optimism. I'm all about it being positive and just, uh, Getting getting ready for the for the roaring twenties that are upon us. I hope. Uh, t- tell us what's next for you guys.
0: Yes. Well, I think. I mean, for for one one thing that I'm hoping for, just the whole the all of America, and if this can be exported to other countries, that would be great. And just the big picture. And I, I one you know, as you know, where people were very focused on IQ. And then EQ came around. And so a lot of businesses are gathering around the idea of developing your EQ. I think the next thing for the world to consider is HQ, which is your health quotient. So I think that the next books and the next conversations we're going to have, and I hope to be leading some of them, is, is HQ. And I haven't heard people talk about it yet. It's, it's an idea that I'm trying to put out into the world is let's talk about our HQ and that could be all things wellness um, or, or call it your WQ, your wellness quotient, whatever you want to call it. But I think that's up next. Uh, for physique in particular, we are doing a couple of things. One is we're starting a bar certification program. So there are so many people in the fitness industry that are out of work and this is a great time for them to be retooling and learning new, new skills. So we have started the Physique 57 Academy and it will start with a bar certification program. What I'm also thinking is that we could create affiliates and have people teaching physique in different places because the bricks and mortar business is sort of questionable now, but I think we could create entrepreneurs under the Physique 57 Academy um, umbrella. So that's very interesting for us. And then, and we still, it's really interesting to me, still after all the, after this pandemic, we still have a lot of interest coming out of Asia and yes. the bar bar is very popular in America. It's made its way into England, not necessarily Europe, but to England. And I still have people from Singapore and China reaching out all the time. So I am st- thinking strategically about how to enter we're, we're already in Asia, but enter in a, in a bigger way into the Asian market because that the bar world is um is growing there so you know so on my mind is everything from just a very big hq education around the world to actually entering other markets around the world to teach women how to be more confident and do this safe and effective exercise
1: good for you i think i think retail i wouldn't discount completely yet because i actually think um the the yearning for community is something yeah, that yeah. um, will will have to come back in retail uh, as one of the venues, and I think that um, you know the Oculus uh, headsets are not going to provide the community that we all uh, <laughs> desire. And-
0: I agree with you. I agree with you, and no, I, I think we'll have studios, and they'll be more social and engaging than yeah, ever.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I I think that. Um, Ultimately, uh, what you're doing is just—it's um, it's a breath of fresh air. It's so lovely to see a company that, on, on the face of it, would have had huge challenges, which, of course, we all did, but you have managed to continue and to use multi-channel, omni-channel uh, to really um, deliver the strength and confidence to your client that you've done so for, since uh, 2006, I think it was. So thank you, uh, Jennifer Manavi, for joining me on the safari, and good luck with... Uh, Thank you. With with Physique 57.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. Until next time.